Heavenly Father, uh, as we as we come to hear your word, Lord, I, I pray that you would put your spirit in my mouth, that I would speak only things that, that reflect what your word says, and that, that I wouldn't um, just insert my opinion where, wherever, Lord. And I pray that you would give folks discerning hearts and, and minds, and help them to be um, touched by the spirit, Lord, that it would, that it would uh, reach down into them and move them to a place where they would be closer to you. In Christ's name we pray. So, uh, we're going to continue with the uh, Sermon on the Mount series, um, and I, I'm going to offer a disclaimer, okay? Uh, this this is a message that, that I, in the elders, we had an elders, oh, hey, I'm going to pause real before I start my disclaimer. Um, if you have small children that are going to nursery, they should go to nursery at this point. Um, bye, Abby. Uh, or, if you have small children who need coloring books or things to entertain them during the service, uh, Jessica will be handing out folders with coloring books. Uh, when you're done, actually, please take the crayons with you. That's because we don't reuse them, because I guess there was some sort of epidemic of flu and cold around here, and that's, that's got me jaded against the potential of sharing crayons. Uh, and so, uh, uh, please take them with you, because they're, they're not... Uh, they're not getting saved otherwise. But leave the folders. Already got that? Leave the folders, take the crayons. And the coloring pages. And the coloring pages, unless you want me to hang them on my fridge. In which case I won't. I'm sorry. Uh, so this is a tougher message. Uh, right out of the gate, we're in Matthew 5. Um, we're going to the Matthew uh, edition of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and the reason this is a tougher one was because we, we started out, we did the, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, and then we did, uh, you know, don't murder, and that includes not hating people, everybody with me, and then we did the don't look at women lustfully, right, because that's adultery too, and then um, this week, we're, we're, the next, like, little vignette of teaching is, is the divorce one, and <laughs> then the elders meeting, I'm like, do I really want to preach on this, and we discussed it, and we decided that we wouldn't skip things, because they were tougher to teach on, everybody with me? But I'm, I'm going to offer the disclaimer up front. Listen, listen carefully to what I'm saying and don't just jump to conclusions about what I might mean. Okay? Because I'm, I'm going to try and handle this uh, appropriately, but I spent about six hours researching it, and it, it's, it's a tough passage. Okay? Um, so, that having been said, now everybody's geared up. Oh my gosh, what's he going to say? Um, the, uh, the, the place I'm going to start, actually, we're going to talk about outward reality, outward appearance and, and, and inward reality, right? Have any of you guys seen Back to the Future? All three of them. Like, you'll notice the Anderson daughters are not raising their hands because, I don't know, they were only allowed to watch nothing. <laughs> what? It wasn't lame. They were great movies. I, so in the third Back to the Future movie, these are movies about time travel. And in the third Back to the Future movie, Marty, who's played by uh, Michael J. Fox, um, has to go back in time to rescue Doc, the mad scientist, who's been stranded in the Old West. Right? And so Marty you know, repairs the time machine with the help of present Doc, which is a little confusing, you've got to watch it. And he, and he goes back in time, and, and he goes to the Old West, right? But um, he, he's wearing like jeans and, and 80s gear and everything else, and, and he's not going to blend in, in in the Old West. So they outfit him with, with a cowboy costume. And, and this is the cowboy costume. And he shows up, and it's about two minutes before somebody tries to beat him up because he's dressed like that. I, <laughs> um, from the outward appearance, this guy is clearly 
not a cowboy. Can we, I mean, some of you guys are, are technically cowboys, right? Is that fair enough? <laughs> Come on, there are cows here and there. <laughs> but this is not it, right? It's just not. He shows up in, in a costume and, and tries to present himself as something, but it's all outward appearance, right? In reality, you know, you, you, you can put you know, you can put a cowboy costume on anyone, but it don't make him a cowboy. Everybody with me? And this is actually, I'm going to say this up front, I, I, and I'm going to admit it in front of all the world, I'm changing subjects slightly. I, I hate Starbucks coffee. I hate it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and the reason is, I, when I was in college at Starbucks, it just really began to take off as a, as a company. Um, I read this article um, about, about their marketing scheme. And, and what they did was, they, they made a gajillion dollars by taking you know, coffee, charging a fortune for it. And it's not the coffee that makes them the money. It's the image, right? Like, it's a company that did an amazing job of recreating what, I don't know, upper middle class people think, you know, bohemian coffee shops should look like and feel like, right? And so you go in there, and there's sort of this, like, jazz music playing, and I know there's no Starbucks, like, in 100 miles in here. Um, it's probably about 100 miles away. Is that right? Yeah, Great Falls over there. Um, but, but in reality, if I go in and I pay $6 for a cup of coffee, and I sit in my, you know, in, in this jazz playing, you know, brown walls and everything else, and I type on my, my MacBook, I'm not Bohemian, right? I'm a guy who paid too much for burnt flavored coffee, right? <laughs> um, the reality of the matter is that just standing in the right place at the right time don't make me into something I ate. Everybody got that? Um, outward appearance is not reality. Who we are is who we are through and through. Uh, with the grapefruit this morning, I was reminded Abby um, loves apples, and she hasn't figured out exactly how to discern an apple from anything else. And so if she sees, we have a fruit basket in the corner of the kitchen, if she sees something round in there, it's an apple, even if it's a grapefruit. And recently she pulled down a grapefruit, and she said, apple, apple, and she bit into the skin. <laughs> And then discovered that it was the worst tasting apple she'd ever had. Not because grapefruit tastes bad, mind you, because grapefruit are awesome. You're wrong. <laughs> but because the skin of the grapefruit is not good. Right? We don't eat that part. But she doesn't know any different. So it, it may look that way on the outside, but if it ain't that on the inside, it's not what it is. Um, now I'm going to shift here slightly and make this, well, actually, I have one more example I'm going to point to. Uh, Madonna. I don't like Madonna. Right? But the funniest thing happened in the last 15 years. She moved to England, which was great. I was glad she moved. Um, <laughs> but, but after she lived there for about a year, she had an English accent. On what planet is this Jersey girl from England? But she's not. She picked up an English accent and faked it, right? She's not English. She's not even close to English, right? And no matter what she sounds like, no matter how she dresses, it doesn't change the fact that she's not English. You know, she's pretending to be something she isn't. Um, so now, that having been said, I've known a lot of folks in my lifetime. I've known a lot of Christians in my lifetime. And one of the things that I've always found interesting is, like, I, I had a young man named, that, that I knew in high school who um, had, had kind of this conversion moment. And, and the first thing he did was he went out and he spent about 100 bucks at the Christian bookstore. You know, and he bought a T-shirt. And he... <laughs> and a bracelet, <laughs> and, and a Bible, 
and I think some other, I mean, he bought the trappings, right? Um, and, and he started carrying that stuff around. Why? So people would know that he was a Christian. Well, which part of that makes him a Christian? Like, if it ain't what's in his heart, it ain't nothing. Everybody with me? Um, a big chunk of what we're going to be looking at, this is sort of the interpretive lens we're going to take in approaching the Sermon on the Mount, is this question of what's going on inside you. Um, and we talked about that last week. Um, eventually it'll be on the Facebook page and you'll be able to listen to the sermon if Jess ever gets around to putting it up there. But it's such a long sermon that it's tough to load it off. Um, nobody laughed at that. <laughs> so we're going to move on. The next part here, um, the, the, the last week's sermon started this idea. And so we're going to move on with it. Um, it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now this passage, out of the gate, has been misused quite a bit. And the reason I'm going to say it's misused is, um, like I had a friend um, in Indiana, one of my closest friends in Indiana, who he and his wife started attending a church, and they were not allowed to become members because they were you know, a divorced couple that had remarried other people, right? So they were not allowed to be members. And I think they weren't allowed to get communion. And I think their son wasn't allowed to be baptized there. This is a misuse of this passage. Is everybody with me? We do not use this passage as a bat. Okay? Um, the next thing I'm going to tell you is I spent about... I'm not exaggerating, about six hours researching this, studying it, and I'm going to tell you, Jewish law is really complicated, like unbelievably complicated. And so I'm going to try and frame this up, and, and we're going to understand it from the perspective we're coming at it from, okay? Um, at the time, there were two rabbis, one named Hillel, and the other named Shammai, right? Sounds like Michael Jackson. Um, and, and about 100 years maybe 50 years before Jesus was born, these guys were like, like rock stars. And every Jewish person knew their name, and every Jewish person knew what they taught. And they, they had these huge debates that lasted for years and years, and they developed schools of thought on different subjects, right? And, and Jesus, through his teachings, if you follow it, Jesus comments on their teachings and takes you know, positions on their teachings. And so like if you read... When Jesus says, well, you know, somebody says, well, who's your neighbor? What they're asking him is, where do you stand on the neighbor thing that Hillel and Shammai argued about? And Jesus sides with Hillel in the end. He says, well, um, actually, he doesn't even side with Hillel. He, he goes way outside of Hillel. Um, but, but he says, you know, hey, your neighbor is anybody around you, period, right? Because they would say, well, Hillel said, well, Romans aren't your neighbors, and neither are Samaritans, but everybody else is. You know, and, and Shammai said, well, it's just Jewish people. Now, on this subject, divorce, they're referring to something in the Old Testament, right? Where it's one passage, it's in Leviticus, if I'm not mistaken, where it says, well, look, you know, that, that men were allowed to divorce their wives if they found impurity in them. Now, Hillel and Shammai started arguing about it and said, well, wait a minute, what are the grounds that we're going to allow? And, and Hillel... Um, is where the Pharisees come from. So when you see the Pharisees, these guys are, are students of this school. Uh, Hillel said, well, look, impurities, that's a tough phrase. What if we read that and we say that it's anything that displeases the husband? <laughs> that means... <laughs> you know where this is going, right? That means you can divorce if 
your wife burns the toast with breakfast. Wow, <laughs> really? You can, you can divorce if you're just tired of her. Um, you can divorce, and, and there's this list of things, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and Shammai said, you know, he takes the opposite stance. He says, listen, divorce, it's, it's adultery, period. Period, right? Now, this is really complicated. This is where this is going to get really sticky, and I'm not going to delve into this. I'll tell you that um, um, the Old Testament law on this is even more complicated, because technically Moses allowed for divorce with adultery, but the real pronouncement pronouncement was stoning, right? And then, like, like, so then there's this whole discussion about can you break a covenant with God outside of death, and, you know, that's why stoning happens, and some people would like to kill their ex-wife or husband, but, but that's not how we do things now, and um, the, other, the other thing that plays into this, I'm just trying to give you a, a, a picture of how complicated this is, is that if you marry a woman in the Old Testament, you discover that she's not, like, a virgin, right? That, that you were allowed to divorce her, but that's not adultery, that's you know, her past right before the marriage itself, so it's not a violation of the marriage covenant, but it is. I mean, and it gets even more complicated. The more you dip into it, the worse it gets, right? So I'm going to tell you, this is more complicated than it appears to be. And, and if you really, if you guys are burning with desire to hear a divorce sermon, I'll do one, but not today. Because <laughs> we're not going to talk about divorce exclusively. Um, what Jesus does here is he backs up and he says, listen, um, you need to take marriage a little more seriously than all that, right? Because in this culture, if I divorce my wife because she burned the toast, do you guys know, um, could women in, in the ancient world own property? No. Could they get jobs? Not generally. Could they, um, they couldn't be the head of a household. They couldn't, I mean, the options were very limited. So if I were to decide, well, I'm tired of death, she burned the toast this morning, um, and she never brings me sandwiches, so we're divorcing. And and so then, if we were in the ancient world, Jessica would have a couple of choices. First off, she couldn't take the kids with her, they're mine. So that's kind of wrong, right out of the gate, right? The second thing is, she can go live with her parents. If her parents are dead, she can try and live with a sibling. If her siblings are gone, she can be a slave, or be a prostitute, or be a beggar. How great a set of options is that? Or she can remarry, right? So part of what Jesus is saying here is, he's saying, look, you know, when you throw people away, when you throw your wife away, this isn't okay. It's not like the way it's meant to be. And particularly, who's he says? He says, um, makes her commit adultery, right? So he's not saying, like, she's responsible. She's saying, like, Jesus is saying, you're responsible. Anything she has to do to get by because you kicked her out is on you. Um, because these guys, they, were, they, they took the, the institution of marriage, and the way they approached it was, first question, you know, before I say I do, where's the back door? Right? How many, I mean, some of you guys are married, right? If, if on your wedding day, the first question your husband or wife asked was, all right, before I say I do, Where's the exit just in case I need it? Is that going to be all right? Yes, maybe, no? No, of course not. Um, part of what Jesus is doing here is, and, and this is the way I'm, I'm, we're talking about this today, and it's, it's, it, we're going to look at all of the passages we're looking at in the same lens, right? 
part of what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, divorce, um, and actually says it in chapter 19 of the same book, if I'm remembering the chapter right. He says, listen, Moses came up with this to deal with the hardest of the hearts of the people, right? He didn't do it because this is what God wanted. I mean, some of you guys have been through divorces. Can you genuinely say this was a great thing and you really think that it was like, like going to Disneyland? Not at all. I, I've never talked to anybody who said it was wonderful and I should do it again, right? I've never talked to anybody who said, wow, this really glorified God. It's generally kind of a miserable situation, right? It is. It's not fun. It's crummy. People feel hurt and they fight and, like, there's no glory coming out of this. It's just miserable. And so, like, like if God created the institution of marriage to bring himself glory, and then the law came up, and the law assumes failure, right? Like, we're going to look at every law we look at today assumes a failure. So right out of the gate, the first assumption is, all right, well, marriage, and we're going to fail. And so if you approach marriage with the assumption that failure is coming, you're violating the purpose of it. Does that make sense? The purpose of it was eternal, not look for the back door. Um, the intent of marriage was to glorify God and be forever. Um, we live in a world that's broken, and that doesn't happen, right? Um, it, it's just the reality of the world we live in. And it's not something we celebrate, it's not something we're happy about. But as you approach marriage, the first question should be, how do I make this thing happen? How do I make it last, right? If you've been divorced, it doesn't mean God hates you. Everybody got that? Um, and, and if you're listening to me and you're like, wait a minute, does that mean Eric says that everybody should get divorced? I'm not saying that either. I'm saying that as Jesus approaches this, he's saying, listen, as a believer, from the core of who you are, you need to look at things and say, how do I glorify God the best? Right? And I glorify God the best by honoring my vows. Um, does it mean it's going to happen every time? No. Uh, and that's as much as I'm saying about that. If you want to get into the legal, technical stuff, I've got about five pages of notes I printed up for anybody who wants to come and complain to me. And, and then we can come back and have a discussion later. It's a tough subject. And, and it's not a subject I want to make big pronouncements about from the pulpit today. Um, the underlying thing, right? The inside and the outside. Where am I at my heart? How am I glorifying God and how I live? Am I looking at my relationships and saying, where's the exit? before I even start, right? Because the law came about to deal with that. Um, the law assumed failure. Jesus calls people to the return of the original design. I should advance my slides more readily. Um, we shouldn't divorce, you know, shun divorcees. We shouldn't demand people stay in an abusive situation. That's another thing that I've seen quite a bit of. Churches will say, you know, someone will say, well, you know, my husband's burning me with cigarettes and throwing me down the stairs. They'll say, well, you got to stick with him. I, I ain't going to say that, okay? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, you know, the law exists to draw us closer to God, not to beat each other down, right? Um, the second teaching we're looking at, just right down the line, right? Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head. For you cannot make one hair black or white, um, but let no statement be, or but let your statements be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is of evil. All right. 
So here's the way this comes out. He says, listen, if you're going to stand up and make a vow, don't do it. Just say what you're going to say and mean it, right? How many of you guys have little kids? The moment your little kids start saying, I swear on all that exists, on my own head, on my own, you know what I'm talking about? How likely is it the moment that starts that you're getting lied to? Or that there's a long history of mis mistrust there, right? I, I, met, I met this kid uh, at Bash, and he was really violent, or he pretended to be really violent. I never saw him punch anyone, or like hit anyone. But when he got mad, he would start threatening you, and he'd swear on everything in the world that he was going to attack you. But the moment he started saying you knew he wasn't gonna. Like, if he was really gonna fight you, he would fight you, right? Like, if I'm gonna say yes, I'm gonna, you know, that's yes. If I say I'm gonna punch you, I don't have to swear I'm gonna do it. Like, if I say I'm gonna do it, and you don't do what I want, I'm just gonna hit you, right? Not that I'm gonna hit any of you. Um, is she even in here anymore? Okay. <laughs> um, what he's talking about here is this idea. Like, in Jewish culture, there was this big debate amongst the rabbis. Wait a minute. Now, when I make an oath, when I swear, can I swear on the temple? And then some rabbis would be like, no, you can't swear on the temple. That's not okay, so you have to swear on this. Or can I swear on the gold in the temple? No, no, the gold on the temple is too holy. Swear on the temple instead. Or... You know, oh, don't swear on that, swear on God's footstool, or no, wait, don't swear on that, swear on your own head, because that's the only, and it's like, well, in the end, if you're swearing to stuff, it's probably because you're a liar, right? I mean, am I wrong? People would swear by things, and there's an Old Testament provision for swearing oaths, but people would do it to reinforce their word. Well, if I need to reinforce my word, then my word ain't that good, right? And he says, listen, if you're going to say yes, say yes. When you say no, say no. Your word should be reinforced by your character, right? As believers, as Christians, if we say we're going to do something, we should mean what we say, right? If we say that we believe something, that's what we ought to be. If we say that we're going to do something, that's what we ought to do. Your word is reinforced by your character. And so, like, we have a rule here. I think I got to, oh, Yeah. This is, a, this is a set of rules that came about to reinforce or to establish beyond man's weakness, right? So because men are weak, we establish this rule. And this way people can, you know, like give an oath and that really means they mean it and then, then the rest of the time they might be lying. Well, it's nonsense. Um, say what you say, or say what you mean, mean what you say, right? Um, because this is a calling to a different kind of righteousness. It's a righteousness that's rooted in being a different person. Um, so Jesus calls people to come back to their ideal for them. And this is, you know, be honest. Don't bear false witness. Tell the truth. Don't lie. Um, we're called to be an honest people. How many of y'all know really honest people? I mean, how many, there are people I've met in my life, if they say something, it's gold, right? I mean, if you know, I mean, they, they wouldn't have to say anything beyond that. They say, well, I'm going to do this, they're going to do it. They say, this is the truth, I know it's the truth. Um, that's the kind of people God calls us to be. Um, but this is a core issue, right? This is, from the core of who I am, I'm a godly man. And everything comes out of that. Not, I present like a godly man, but I'm rotten in the middle, so I have to swear by God's holy word that I'm telling the truth. No. Um, you have heard it said, 
an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants you to, wants to sue you to take your shirt, let him have your, cur your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Um, we're gonna pause right there. Um, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? This is fun. <laughs> and actually, it shouldn't really be you knock out one of my eyes, I'm going to knock out two of yours, because that's the way it really ought to be, right? Um, this is a rule that came about to account for man's weakness. This is another example of this, right? Three, one after the other. Man's weakness. What's our weakness? We like revenge. Anybody like some good revenge? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to go back to this lying business. <laughs> revenge kind of feels good, right? And, and the thing that would happen, and this is the problem, is that in the ancient world, somebody would wrong me, and I'd go out and I'd wrong them back worse. Um, we recently watched uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? And, and this is about this feud that happens in, in, I guess, the 1800s, the early 1900s, where somebody kills someone else over the Civil War, which doesn't even make sense. Um, and then they turn around and kill two of the other family. And before you know it, there's like 60 people dead. And, and it's a disaster. How did it end up a disaster? Well, if you wronged me, I'll wrong you back. The law came about to keep people from, well, you killed my dog, I'm going to kill your kid. You know, they did, the law exists to say, don't make it times ten. <laughs> Even, and this is a civil law, meaning the courts were supposed to carry it out. But people took it and said, you know what, I really want revenge. And so, an eye for an eye means I can get revenge. Well, but that's not the point of the law. The point of the law was to prevent you from ruining other people because you're wronged. Does that make sense? Is God more happy with me when, like, if my wife um, says something that upsets me, you know, and I turn around and I say something back to her that upsets her, is God pleased with that? Not at all. The ideal isn't an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The ideal is forgive. But because people are sinful, the law exists. But then the law, like Paul says this, right? The law grabs sin in us and takes it as an opportunity to make it worse. And it became worse. And so what, Paul, what Jesus is teaching us here, what he's calling us to, is a different standard. A different standard of righteousness. And that standard is, right? If someone wrongs you, forgive them. If somebody pushes you to do something, go beyond what they want. Why? Because we're supposed to be a different kind of people. From the core out, we're supposed to be a different kind of people. We're not supposed to look like and act different. We're supposed to be, at the very heart of who we are, people who glorify God. And we glorify God when we, when we live different. By the way, these all cook together in a really neat way that's beyond this. Um, in my marriage, if I tell my wife the truth when it's appropriate, right? Like, if my word is good, that's the way to say it. Because if she says, well, you know, does this dress make me anything? You know, that's, all bets are off. <laughs> um, <laughs> and actually, with Jess, it's not that. It's, did you enjoy the dinner I made? Yes, honey. <laughs> of course I did. Even if I didn't, I'm going to say yes, Right. But beyond that, if, if I, my wife says, well, wait a minute, are you going to do the dishes today? I should say, yes, if I'm going to do them, right? 
say no if I'm not going to, and then she'll convince me that I'm doing them. <laughs> She's nodding back there. Um, so in my relationship with my wife, if my, if my word is my bond and my word is good, and I don't have to get revenge on her every time something goes wrong, instead I go the extra mile with her, how quick am I going to get divorced? It's going to make me a lot more durable, isn't it? Um, but these hook together because they're about a lifestyle. They're about living in a way that honors God. Living in a way that's different from what people expect. And actually is different from our nature because we're sinful. Like our sinful nature, every time I, like I sign a cell phone contract, and the first thing I look is figure out how I can get out of this contract if I need to, right? Um, how can, where's my exit? Um, what's in it for me? How do I get things the way I want them to? How can I tell you the thing that I want without having to give anything up? It's about living different. Not being a, a, a cowboy in a costume, but being through and through the person that we're meant to be. Jesus goes on, he says, uh, you have heard it said, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, uh, so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. By the way, he's not talking about so you can be obedient to the law I'm giving you right now, right? If we're going to be sons, it means living different. Um, so you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Um, I kind of covered those, didn't I? Um, this is a call for us to be like Jesus, right? Through and through. That's what it comes down to. The whole Sermon on the Mount, read it, I'm telling you. It plays out every time. Is this a new law? Is Jesus raising the standard to a point that we can't possibly reach it? No. He's telling you what it looks like if you be the person God meant you to be, right? Um, it's not a new bath to hit someone with. Oh, if you looked at a woman lustfully, that's it, you're going to hell. No, not at all. It's a standard. It's a model. It's how the believers live. They live like sons of God. They love people. They are honest. They, they honor things. They, they live a certain way. This is the calling God has put on us. Um, how do I apply this? Well, um, there are a couple of really good ways. We can assess ourselves daily, right? You wake up in the morning, you read the word, and the first thing you ask is, am I doing this? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I loving my enemy? How am I responding to people who mistreat me? How am I handling angry times? I'm the only one who gets those, right? This is how we apply it. We walk according to his word. We love our neighbor. We be honest. Um, and we, we honor our vows. Um, and in all things, God is grateful, right? God is forgiving. And so if I stumble, it's okay. God does forgive me. Everybody who's in Christ has grace, right? And so forgiveness is always there. Um, and God can always take a broken thing and make it better. Uh, we're going to close in prayer. And I think the case going to come up that she's going to pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us today. I pray that you would help us to be through and through authentic people who reflect your glory in all things. I pray that you would uh, touch our hearts and our souls and our minds and help us to be made new. Uh, 
obviously people who are, are different, who are uh, clearly identifiably set apart for your glory. In Jesus' name.